this part one. Watashi wa Nihongo o Hasanai. Somebody get Billy Bob Thornton to dub that over. We're talking Princess Mononoke on today's We're not affiliated with Netflix. Welcome to Kidflix, the podcast where adults try to definitively rank every kid's movie ever made. I'm your host, Ross Wiseman, and this show is not for kids, so turn this off and go to your room until you can learn to behave. Yeah, take that. Uh, before we get started, just a quick promo on my part. Um, my mother and I will actually be doing a comedy show together this Saturday night at the Good Good Comedy Theater, so if you're in the Philadelphia area, definitely check that out. But enough about me, it's time to get to my guest. It's a special guest, like usual. He is my age. I don't know why I'm saying how old he is. Uh, he is uh, a host on Temple University's uh, radio station, WHIP, technically Philly's number one college radio station. And he also is working on his YouTube channel, which maybe we'll get into. He just stifled, snipe, stifled a sneeze. I That took me a long time to say it, but I'm going to introduce him anyway. It's Tony Pearson. Hello. It Hello. Is, uh, it's Yeah, it's good to be here in... in uh... In your own in my, room. My own room, yeah. It's pretty... I've done... You know, I know what it's like to be recording things in my room, so, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, business as usual. Isn't it kind of a nice change to be speaking to somebody else, though? It really is. Talking into, like, a screen with words on it isn't quite as uh, inspiring or emotionally rich. And it, and it makes you kind of doubt your sanity. Like, I've, I've done a couple episodes <laughs> of this where I'll be um, Skyping with my guests just for convenience sake... And I will sound like a crazy person just hunched over my computer, laughing to myself. I'm, I've told my family and friends to just shush and leave me alone. And it's just... I audi- The audio industry is just being okay with being crazy, I think. I guess so. And I think, I think part of it is because people can't see you. At least I know, I know that makes being a, a character or something like that easier for me mm-hmm. um, doing this kind of stuff. Are you not a Are you not a big then uh, just you know full body actor? I don't know what the correct term is. Uh, no, not a big full body actor. I, I don't think so. I mean, I've done like I've done like insomnia theater here at Temple, which is like mm-hmm. a little you know twenty four hour um, play, write, learn, act, perform in a day. Yeah, thing. it's just a marathon, just kind of get it together, even yeah. if it's a hot mess. Yeah, and that's that's fun because it's not as uh, not as important. But mm-hmm. no, besides that, I, I just present in things. Have you ever done uh, like theater or anything like that when you were in high school? Maybe I've helped out with it. I've never done anything major for it. I mean, I really got to say, insomnia is probably the most theatery thing I've mm-hmm. done. I was always uh, my artistic endeavors went to like the news station near the end of my high school career and um, drumline. Believe it or not, drumline. Oh yeah, drumline. I was uh, I was a bass drum my first year, and then after that, I was a snare. Wow, that was that was hype. That's good. I've known you for like almost four years now, and I the, that had never come across come across ever. Yeah, huh. no, it, it's something that I stopped doing coming into uh, Temple just because marching band is not a joke. It is actually really really difficult, and I just knew that I wasn't going to have enough time for it. I also knew that I was not at the level that mm-hmm. the other people who were going to be here were. Which stinks because it's actually it's funny. I've mentioned this um, a lot to like my girlfriend. Whenever we'll hear the uh, temple marching band doing its thing, I really miss it. 
Um, so it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was a passion. For yeah. Time. No, I was, I mean, I was big into uh, musical theater when I was in high school. I was actually listening to uh, like a musical on the way over here. I was trying not to sing along because I don't think people like that if Which you do that in it? the city. Uh, waitress. Oh, I've actually, <laughs> didn't that get like awards? It like, did. Well, two, okay. Two years ago. So here's the thing. I've I've talked about I've weird this has weirdly come up on the podcast several times before but Waitress was nominated for Tony's the same year as hey, you're Tony uh, the same year That's as <clears throat> as Hamilton so it got like nothing because Hamilton oh, got everything that's just a shame it is because <laughs> I mean yeah you know Hamilton definitely Hamilton definitely earned it I mean what like what is up with it's, it's weird. Like, theater is just this genre that's not... I'm not going to say it's dead. I'm not going to say it's dying. But it's not... It hasn't been pulling punches like Hollywood does. Yeah. And then Hamilton happened. Like... Mm-hmm. Hamilton happened, and then Dear Evan Hansen happened, and everybody's freaking out over Dear Evan Hansen. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe we're on the cusp of a, of a Broadway revival. Renaissance? Yeah. Of some sort. A second Renaissance. I don't know what the first one was. Well, I don't know. Rogers and Hammerstein, maybe. I have I have no idea. I'm not Those schmoes. Oh, fair enough. I could talk about theater for a long time. Actually, more of a, of a movie person. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Quite frankly. But. Well, speaking of movies, <laughs> that's what we're here to talk about. So tell me a little bit about um, why you chose Princess Mononoke. Oh, why I chose Princess Mononoke? I could talk about this for like the entire time. Um, Great. <laughs> not going to. No, it's uh. Well, first of all, it's a Miyazaki movie, mm-hmm. and Miyazaki is one of my two favorite directors. It's, uh, it's him and Tarantino, really okay. weird combination, because one is known for super, super heartfelt and real movies, the other one's all about like blood and violence. Um, but in Miyazaki's case, he makes children's movies, for anybody who's not familiar. Um, he's a director behind Spirited Away, which mm-hmm. was his really breakout success here in the U.S. Yep, and we, we covered that on a previous episode, which you can listen to right now. Some good stuff. I don't know the number, just look for it. <laughs> You'll find it. Yeah. Um, but th- this guy's anime is so good, and I'm someone who usually doesn't like anime very much, that Disney actually is usually behind the um the dubs and the translations and mm-hmm. like the the localization process of getting that over here in the u.s just because his stuff is so good so he makes all these children's movies and what i love about them is just how real they are he doesn't not to kind of trash on on Disney. Am I, Do I should, it. I should ask. What's the what's the profanity policy? Oh, it's this is uh, a podcast for adults. So, so I'm, say I'm whatever. Allowed, I'm allowed the to say fuck I don't you mean this shit on Disney. But there like, you go. It, oh, I felt so good. I just got off the radio where I couldn't speak my mind. Uh, uh, uh but you're no, untethered by internet radio. This, this is so great. <laughs> Take that FCC. <laughs> um, but yeah, not not to like trash Disney here, but a lot of Western children's cartoons and children's movies kind of talk down to their audience they're not very real yeah with the audience you get these very like like one-dimensional characters that are very i should say two-dimensional i don't know if one-dimensional is a thing with characters but well one i one dimension that's that's a line yeah i was that's, about that's, to say spaghetti so technically all animation starts out one-dimensional i, I guess so and then it becomes all right well yeah there were, sure. there were literally 2d characters but 
and I feel like in a lot of movies the like the emotional depth is very simple. You've got a villain that's a villain and they're bad because they're evil, and you've got your hero root for the hero because they're the hero and they're good. Mm-hmm. Whereas, and and like you know, if people die or something like that, like one person will die or something like that, and it's like be... a, an old person, so it's yeah. not that bad. Whereas in a Miyazaki movie, it's not like people are dying and stuff. It's not like things are awful all the time, but. He's very real in his movies. No, we're going to get to Princess Mononoke in a moment. Sure. But, like, for example, in Spirited Away, which you mentioned you talked about before on the show, um, the antagonist in that movie is this witch who is originally portrayed as being kind of evil and just, well, evil. But as the movie goes on, you come to understand that She's trying to run a business for exactly. a kid. And she's not somewhere along the way. And she has familial issues. Yeah, like family issues. And like you start to learn that, like, is she kind of a cold, heartless person? Yeah, but she's definitely a person. Mm-hmm. And that's what Miyazaki movies give you. And it's not just in their portrayal of people, it's in their portrayal of sometimes politics, sometimes like really dark topics like death. Um, like regions and countries and war and it's it's weird because you get these really just honest portrayals in a movie that's targeted towards I want to say at the lower end people who are like five years old a Miyazaki and, movie is aimed yes. at five year and hmm. like I don't think Princess Mononoke is one of those movies like, before we get I was into gonna it, say it's I, I chose that one because of the Miyazaki movies Princess Mononoke is much more at like uh, I want to say like twelve and up um, target I mean I, I watched it when I was that. like ten but whoa <laughs> well here's the thing with Miyazaki movies is that you can get away like I wouldn't shy away from showing a kid Princess Mononoke I would want to know like is What's what does this person's media diet usually look like? Are they gonna freak out if they see someone lose their arms? <laughs> okay, that part, like I, I had never really heard of this movie. Mm-hmm. When you texted me, I was like, okay, cool. I couldn't, I couldn't get it on iTunes or Amazon. I found like this weird shady website. I should but, have gave you a copy. I, eh, it's all good. Eh, it was, life. you know what? It's part of the part of the search is the fun part of it. <laughs> But I uh, nice, <laughs> but yeah, this this scene. Um, so I'm I need to look at the Wikipedia page because I do not remember any of these characters' names. So um, Ashitaka, Ashitaka. Ash- okay, I was close. I believe. Uh, yeah, so Ashitaka, he's the main character, uh, our protagonist, if you will. He he gets this weird superpower. He gets like this super strength that's gonna kill him essentially because it, it's just kind of slowly eating at his body. And it get he realizes he has this strength when he shoots a bow and arrow, his arm wiggles, and then he he blows off a guy's two arms onto a tree. And yep. that moment right there, I thought, oh my god, what did I get myself That's into? That's the first, and it's it's jarring because all of Miyazaki's movies, like I said, have this like honest feeling to them, and this mm-hmm. one's no different. And if you're familiar with his other movies, you might go into this like expecting it to be real with you, but you don't expect it to escalate like that. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's you know, the, the concept is is that he's cursed because there's you know crazy stuff going on in the forest. Maybe we'll talk about that later. Um, and long story short, bad spirit Mojo gets caught up in his arm, and then yeah, he's 
pretty much the stuff that he does is cursed too. So like he shoots an arrow and that sucker's evil, so it kind of takes off the dude's arms. But yeah. That's, oh, that's why I thought it was just because he was so strong sure. at least, that it ripped through that guy viciously. At least I think. Because I don't think in the... This is my own interpretation of the movie. Sure. I don't recall other people taking arrows and losing limbs in that fashion. Because for, for those of you who haven't seen this, it's not like the arrow goes through and like takes off his arms at that point. Like, the dude, like at the shoulder... Yeah, well, oh, and and the arrow hits like in the mid, like at the joint, even not even at the kind of where the shoulder blade is. Yeah, I okay. I'm gonna be honest with you. This movie, (laughs) I was I was pretty lost for most of it. It, I mean, you you mentioned kind of your two favorite uh, directors are Miyazaki and Tarantino, and this movie seems to combine them all almost because Mm -hmm. I I know Spirited Away pretty well. I've seen it a couple times. Um, I know of Ponyo and the one with the giant fat cat sitting at a bus station or whatever, that one. But I I didn't know this at all going in and I was I was legitimately just shocked by how much violence and stuff. And I'm not I'm not like a pruder being like, get that away from my child, but I was so unprepared for that. It creeps up on you. Um it's I shouldn't say it creeps up on you, it, it jumps out at you when mm-hmm. it happens. Um but it makes sense, and this is kind of what I—I I guess what I like about it—is that it shows you like this this tribal society. I mean, these are people. The, the movie, and this is another thing with Miyazaki movies, it's almost never certain when a movie takes place. This one seems to be a long time ago. Like we're talking advent of guns. One of the big themes in this movie yeah. is that this one faction of people has guns, and that's like a huge deal because nobody else has guns um none of the animals or the <clears throat> tribe that our hero came from yep see how actually... i hid that i forgot his name <laughs> sorry right. i don't know the tri- i don't know the tribe's name either to it's, be honest. It, it's, it's kind of where the hero is from doesn't matter that much because the movie starts with the hero being exiled because he's cursed yeah so, i i assume that that was gonna somehow link back at the end that when his sister gave him like a lucky thing i it was that yeah that was the first big surprise that uh that just happened yep it just kind of the whole movie happens and then it's over Mm -hmm. and it's just like ah but so that's where you kind of get the that's where you get some of the the violence from but then it also it kind of tackles this transition that i assume happened in, in human history at some point where there were a lot of tribes being shown as being in some kind of harmony with nature. That idea that people are like, you know, living like on the edge of the forest, yeah, like on the edge like, of the forest, and like the forest has its thing, and people go into it to maybe hunt and gather, and, they and then they back. say thank you or whatever. Yeah, something like that. And then you see the antagonist in this movie, um, Lady Eboshi is her name, and mm-hmm. her city i think it's called iron town or something like yeah that. she's the one that's telling them to make the guns lighter yeah. and they're stuff. they're industrializing is what it is it's a i assume what used to be a tribal society that mm-hmm. is industrializing it's kind of just got... being invaded by her and her legion of uh ready to work prostitutes it was kind of that... they could they they could not keep they could not stop hammering home the fact that they were all like former prostitutes. Yep. And that's, this is where I thought it got really interesting. Um, and this is, again, it's, it's another Miyazaki thing. This is what we were talking about with, uh, with the witch from Spirited Away. Uh-huh. 
Lady Eboshi is without a doubt the antagonist of that movie. She, the, yes. I mean, the world almost comes to an end because she literally kills, like, she essentially kills God. And <laughs> oh, the the big blind yeah the bear. the boar. big it's the uh, not the big blind boar that was one of them, but eventually she ends up killing the wolf. The uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna keep guessing <laughs> the really big like the forest spirit like the yes spirit that is like you know nature's alive because of this thing she kills it because she wants its head for soup some reason I think <laughs> it's because they were having trouble advancing into the forest and rather it was essentially like oh we don't have napalm yet so why don't we just kill uh, the god that keeps everything alive and then we'll go that way so she's definitely the antagonist Mm -hmm. and yet it from the iron town perspective which you're shown in the movie she got a bunch of women off the streets these were people it's implied they didn't want to be prostitutes when they were no at the very least it was an out of necessity thing yeah and, like, the people who design and engineer her guns are actually people with leprosy. Um, she has, you might oh, have noticed... I didn't remember that part. The people that are that are all bandaged. Oh, that's why. She's Yeah, she is actually housing a colony of lepers because nobody else will. And she recognizes that they're smart people. They can contribute to society, and she wants that. Yeah, and you can, and you can see how much this um, community cares about her because... Uh, uh, Tor in like the middle of the movie, almost exactly in the middle, um, our protagonist, uh, uh, he, he's fighting her, and she, she either falls under a curse or she just is unconscious for whatever for whatever reason, and the town is ready to revolt against him just because he's like you've brought nothing but bad luck, and they and all the the prostitutes are upset, and it it, it definitely is interesting. Like I I never really thought about that until you mentioned it, but just the fact that there isn't. There are clear uh, good guys and bad guys, but he shows uh, Miyazaki shows everybody's kind of different shades. It's pretty much it shows the perspective. Mm-hmm. It puts you in a position where, like in a lot of movies, going back to the Disney thing, you might look at it and you can't relate at all to the villain because the villain's just being a dick, and you don't know why the villain's being a dick, except that the hero's got to stop that. Yeah, and it was always that thing that. If you're in elementary school and you're you're talking about one of those movies and you say like, oh, I mean, Cruella or uh, what's her face from uh, Little Mermaid, like she's Ursula, like she's yeah. kind of cool. Every it's like it's like a a crazy thing that you are a fan or like have a lunchbox of one of the the evil. You know people. you're supposed to hate that character. There's nothing redeeming, or if there is, it's like the tiniest glimmer. Mm-hmm. Whereas with and I feel any Miyazaki movie, but especially this one, you know, again, there's a very clear side you're supposed to take here. There's a clear protagonist and antagonist. But you get to see that perspective of the matriarch of a city just trying to expand and bring a good life for her people. And her priorities just aren't in line with the protagonist. She doesn't care about nature because she cares more about the people behind her walls. Does that ultimately prove to be reckless and dangerous on her part? Yeah. But that's relatable, it, and it's a good it's a good motivation. It's not I she's she's not being inherently selfish at all. Mm-hmm. She's really working to improve everybody's lives. I also just uh, I'm looking at my notes, and there's one line that I loved, uh, and it's one of the former prostitutes is like all the prostitutes uh, they're they're just kind of pining over the protagonist, and he 
he's just like, oh, I'm new here. And they're like, ooh, you can come, you can come help Iron Mill anytime. And the one uh, lady goes, we eat all we want and the men don't bother us unless we want them to, wink. <laughs> that is, that's another interesting thing about this movie, too, is that it, it does present a... I don't know if it's like a fully matriarchal society, but like, well, there there's the guy voiced by John DiMaggio mm-hmm. that is kind of like the general, I think. Yeah, yeah. I get I, I wouldn't say that it's matriarchal because um, there's also a scene where um, the protagonist. I'm I'm gonna look at Wikipedia again because I need to remember his game name mm-hmm. Ashitaka. So Ashitaka comes to this village. He's having dinner with all the men. And all the 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 formal brothel uh, people, they're sitting outside and they're just like cooing at him. And all of them are like, oh, these women. <laughs> and I, I wish I wrote down specific things that the men were saying, but they were like being really real mean. Uh, yeah. Also, at one point, some guy said like in the crowd smells like super donkey piss. <laughs> That's just a stray observation. I My notes... Uh, when I watch these movies, are just insane. It's just ramblings and me talking to myself. No, and I do think that comes from, again, the honesty with which these worlds are kind of portrayed. I know this one was dirtier than the ones portrayed in, in Miyazaki's other movies. Like, not, not from, like, a physical standpoint. Like, these, there are Miyazaki movies where the world seems much more desolate. Um, I know... Uh, Nausicaa and the Valley of Wind is an example of one of those movies. I don't know. Have you seen that one? I haven't. It's That one's like totally post-apocalyptic. Is that a new one or an older one? It's actually one of the older ones. Okay. Um, but yeah, that one takes place. It's it's the opposite. It's some hundred, couple, whatever years in the future where the apocalypse already happened and people have technology, but it's clear they don't really understand how it works. And, ah. Sounds, yeah, it seems like a big... Sounds like Barry Vacker would love it. Yeah, it seems like... I think he would. It seems like a big allegory for uh, nuclear weapons. Okay. But um, who knows? How about those sirens? Uh-oh. Yeah, something's... Live. You know, it's funny. So sirens in, uh, like, Greek and Latin literature, it's all about, like, beckoning people over. But modern sirens... Get away. You want to get away. Don't be in the road right now. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, I've only been, like, pulled over technically by a cop once, and it kind of happened... <laughs> I, I was driving with my friends and uh, the cop turned on the uh, the siren and I was wait I there was there were like wasn't a spot to pull over except for onto grass and I was like oh there's a parking lot up there I'll do that and it's like a beautiful summer day so I have my window down and the cop goes into the other lane uh, into like opposing traffic goes by me and yells pull over and I got scared and I pulled in the parking lot and I was waiting for him to show up and it turned out that he just went past me but he just wanted to teach me a lesson that like hey if a cop needs you gotta you gotta pull to the side but i <laughs> it definitely scared me because like my friend was there and like my dog was bouncing around in the back seat and i was like oh no what law are we breaking have, uh, have you ever been uh pulled oh, over yeah. i've been pulled over it was um it was actually the very first time i drove out to pittsburgh to uh, uh to visit roslyn uh, my girlfriend lives in pittsburgh i live in allentown so i make that fun drive every once in a while um and I was doing, jeez, I was doing like 82 and a 70, which is like... That's not terrible. It's really reasonable. And on top Where, of that... It, and this was a highway. 
right? It was a turnpike. Okay. And on top of that, like there were other people around me who were definitely going faster. But, 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 I was driving a Chevy Spark, which is, I think, an 82 horsepower car. And I guess the cop just knew that, like, even if I wanted to give him trouble, it wasn't going to happen. So I guess <laughs> I'll pull over that guy. So I didn't even get a warning either. I got, like, a $200 ticket. And I was like, wow. thanks, dude. So That's, that wasn't... That sucks. That wasn't fun. It might have... Actually, I... It might have been 65 at the time. In fact, I think it was 65. So I think it was right before they raised the speed limit to 70. But still. Yeah, move over. 80, car 82 talk. and a 65 when other people are doing like 90 is the turnpike. Uh, it's also the turnpike. And like, I mean, I, I routinely drive 75, 80 uh, on the highway. And it's like, I, I'm just matching traffic at that I wish point. They would do, there's a lot of things in this country I wish they do the way they do in Germany, modern Germany. Um, good <laughs> yep, thank you for I have to say that. Um, no, but like the, the Germans had some good ideas. Germans had some good ideas, guys. Hear me out for a second. Are oh, you talking about like the autobahn? Yeah, like just maintaining your roads really well and then doing a minimum. The way we do things here with uh, with speed limits, where a lot of times you'll have people driving like really slow. We don't stress enough that people need to drive fast on roads where you're supposed to drive fast. Yeah, people, someone doing ninety is way less dangerous to you. Unless there's traffic, then someone who's doing 55 and people have to try to go around that person. Because what causes accidents on a highway is people getting out of their lane. If mm-hmm. everybody would just stay in their freaking lane and like not get close to each other, like that, that's when everything's safe. But also, I've been very much a proponent, because uh, I drove a lot this summer just because mm-hmm. I was uh, working and I was just traveling. Um, I really was following the keep right except to pass thing. And that, that worked out surprisingly well because I it just kind of, for me at least, it kept a general flow. Isn't it? Wow. What a, what a, I don't know how we got here. How do I? But, oh, the fucking sirens. Yeah. That's not, yeah. That, oh, man. Some guy had to get arrested, probably. Hopefully. Oh, so here, let's see. What can I look at at my notes to, uh, oh, okay. So th- this was an observation. Um, So I, this happened in this movie. It's happened in half of the movies I've seen in my entire life and I hate it. It's that thing where um, like a character leaves to go do something heroic and then after that character is completely gone out of earshot, out of everything another character will whisper something to them so uh, uh, our protagonist I'm not even going to try to anymore our protagonist uh, <laughs> leaves uh, he, he like pushes on that, that uh, gate and leaves because mm-hmm. he's super strong and He's long gone, and Billy Bob Thornton goes, "Good luck, stranger." <laughs> like that? Okay. It's a trope. That's I, just for you. I mean, I, I definitely. It's a trope. I feel like when it comes to tropes like that, it depends on who's using it. In Miyazaki's case, I give him a pass just because dude's like, he's just one of those directors who's just at the top of his thing. But yeah, that's that's yeah. totally. I also, we. I mean, I'm assuming you watched it uh, with the English. Dub. I of course oh, yeah. I'm watched not, in I'm not English that dub. I, yeah, so it, I don't know what the original Japanese was. Who knows? Maybe it was something like really powerful. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Bad luck, stranger. Bad luck, stranger. <laughs> um, the Kadama, those little forest dwellers. Yeah, how about those? I loved them, they except did. when they started shaking. The noise they made, it. I don't know what exactly clicked in my brain, but it just made me so viscerally uncomfortable. Just this like. It's 
it kind of sounds like like cicadas mixed with chattering teeth like a rattle almost yeah but like it was it was like a rattle of baby teeth like i have this distinct memory my mom showed me uh my baby teeth that she for some reason kept and she shook it for me and i nearly vomited because it was like just shaking bones teeth noises Mm. yeah teeth noises are the worst which is why you're listening to a podcast (laughs) no uh but yeah so there was a couple moments in this movie where the sound design it was like good but just the the noises itself were disgusting like Mm. i i I muted like the one climax when the the forest uh spirit is going through and all the kadama are shaking so hard Mm -hmm. and that's another thing it's 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 rare that i'm this like rabid about a movie i like it i honestly like that it makes you uncomfortable because it's one of the few movies where they're trying to do like a sacred forest this is hollowed ground vibe and they pull it off like avatar it, it does feel alien like it does feel like oh boy we don't belong here like little things like that like the fact that it's these things clearly like they, they they're not evil. Like you can tell that they're not bad. Well, yeah, because the one guy's terrified, and he's like, "No, they're nice." But like, yeah, that, that's the point. The the one guy's terrified though, and like, the fact that the sound design and stuff like that can bring forth like just a an uncomfortable reaction. I'm all about that. I love I love when directors get people to just emotionally feel something without. Mm-hmm. Without having to resort to like you know oh we want them to be uncomfortable in the in the forest all right we'll have all of them be covered in forest blood and they'll puke it into puke on people it'll be like overt. Yeah. I mean I get that but at the same time so like um, there was that whole thing there were a bunch of articles a couple of years ago because um, horror movies they they were putting in such um, deep bass tones to instill kind of anxiety that it was like making people ill mm-hmm. <clears throat> and to me it's i i get it that it's a purpose and it, it works and that's a positive thing but at the same time it's just it, it feels almost manipulative like there there are ways to kind of draw me into a movie because that almost drew me out because i was like okay this mm-hmm. is just gross i gotta just mute this mm-hmm. i can definitely see how that could be the case and i i do think it is a fine line and that line will exist in a different place for everyone i know I'm trying to think of an example where I didn't like it in a movie. Sound design? But, yeah. Well, I'm like a specific example like that, though. I can't think of one right now. I can think of a lot where I did like it. Have you seen Dunkirk? I haven't. I heard that the soundtrack is great. The sound, not just the soundtrack, the sound design. I don't know what... I don't know how that movie was mixed, but having been... Being a white guy in America, I've been near guns before, and I've you know I've shot guns before. I know what it sounds like. Dunkirk is the only movie I have ever seen in my life that accurately reproduces the feeling of being near a gun when it goes off. I don't know if he purposefully mixed the rest of the movie low just so that the gunshots can be that high, or what. I remember watching that movie, and within the first I want to say five minutes, there was a grin on my face, like ear to ear, not like happy grin, but just like. When, just like an awe grid. Yeah, just, just like, just like, I can't just like a being exposed. Thing. Yeah, because in one of the early scenes, these dudes take some fire from an LMG, a big machine gun, and like it sounds like the movie theater's falling apart. As it should. Wow. When bullets, you know, bullets hitting stuff, like that's not a peaceful 
process. When things get shot, they explode. Mm-hmm. And when things explode, it is loud and terrifying. And, like, there's a reason why fireworks can set people off who've been around that. Because it's like, you want to hide yourself. You want to cover yourself when you hear But it's just like everywhere. That. So it, it, and, there's not really a, an escape from it. And that's what... Dunkirk, I know we're getting totally off topic. That's what Gun- Dunkirk did as a movie for me. Is that those gunshots? It like you jump out of your seat. You want to get away from that noise. And when a movie does that to me, I it's I guess all the thumbs up. That's that's another example of where I think that's a good effect. Huh. You know? And on that note, that's why I'll why I'll be waiting for it uh, to be on DVD because <laughs> yeah, I I just find myself just getting. I just feel panicked sometimes in theaters in a good way. Like, okay, a good and another great example of sound design is. Uh, did you see Ex Machina? No, I did not. I did not see that one. Okay, so the movie visually as well and just story really drew me in. I saw it in theaters and it it made me feel so claustrophobic mm-hmm. uh, towards the climax of the movie that I had to like walk out for a couple minutes just to kind of take a breath it's a good movie yeah (laughs) who knows maybe uh so we're gonna take a quick break and maybe over the break we'll try to remember we'll try to think of some shitty sound design and also maybe eventually we'll talk more about princess mononoke stay with us (laughs) hello it's commercial interruption ross now you know what i'm gonna say so i'm just gonna say it please rate and review us on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts because it would make me feel warm and fuzzy uh last time i checked we have one so kudos on you, one person. I'm actually a little shaken up right now because I tried to record this earlier and I accidentally had the speakers on full blast, so I got a lot of feedback and it hurt my little baby ears. And hey, unlike that feedback I heard, I would love to hear your feedback. Boom, what a flawless transition that I swear to gosh I did not plan. I'm done talking. Listen to the rest of the episode. Here we go. And we are back. Boom. Made it nice and simple as a way to return. I've yep. been I, I struggle so much with coming back from these, but I'm gonna stop talking about it because I've been talking about it for months that I'm bad at coming back from the breaks. But now that I just said it, we're back, it's plain and simple. Damn straight. Thank you for your support, Tony. Damn and straight. We <laughs> we were talking right before the break about um bad sound design in movies, and it's hard just because you remember really exceptional and really terrible sound design like the worst that i can think of is um have you seen birdemic uh, bits and pieces i've never actually sat through one of those movies completely but. you should because you'll question your sanity but that's a great example of bad sound design Oof. and there's also a movie called a talking cat which i'm hoping to review very soon on the podcast but it's uh uh, the there's an actor that voices a talking cat, and he literally phones in his performance. Like he recorded his lines over the phone in like five minutes, so you can tell uh, that in the movie. <laughs> that's man, that's rough. Like, mm-hmm. you, you can at least pull out like the snowball for something like that, you know? Like I mean, that. Eric Roberts is a busy man; he can't be bothered. <laughs> I guess so. I, I don't know. I. I'm glad it's working for him, I guess, if he's doing low-budget movies that are still successful somehow. Yeah. Oh, uh, and I remember we were talking about um, if the Iron Town is in a matriarchal society, and it still isn't, but I, uh, it's a step closer to a more egalitarian society, yeah, I would say. It doesn't say. seem to be... I guess I, I, I would agree that it's not matriarchal, but it doesn't seem to be a strictly, like... 
Well, you know, the men are all hunter-gatherers, and mm-hmm. the women are the bat- basket weavers. And th- instead... Interestingly <laughs> enough, the basket weaving in the society is making guns. Yeah, it is making guns, and it's handled by lepers. Ha-ha. Yeah. But, uh, nah, it's like, it, in the movie... I should mention, we keep calling them prostitutes. They're, they actually are not prostitutes anymore. They're former. They work in these steel mills. Or, um, in fact, I'm not even sure if they're steel mills or if they're just um, iron refining plants. But, like, you see I them think it's operating iron... the bellows and, like, yeah. Yeah, and they're all having fun. They're all just jumping up and down. I thought this was crazy. Someone mentions that their shifts are four days long. And realistically that probably means that they just work four days in a row but in my head i was like they work four days straight yeah you know because you know how i'm dumb that i think that people work in an iron mill for 96 hours yeah, straight. you know it's just it's just culture man it's different <laughs> you just don't get it i don't get it it's a japanese dumb, thing it's I guess. Like, you dumb stupid american can't work four days straight what's your yeah. problem dude have you have you ever kind of been to uh, Asia at all, like Japan or China or anything? I have not. I've been as far east as uh, Berlin. That's okay. not very... I mean, I've been to the east part of Berlin. Like, the everything's concrete, and this was definitely Soviet at one point part of mm-hmm. Berlin, but... Uh, but yeah, because yeah, I was gonna... I, I've traveled to several English-speaking countries, and a couple that aren't English, but they all speak English, like in Europe, but... Oh, yeah. I, I know, my one friend is currently studying in Japan, and I just... I don't know how I would even begin to go to that. Like, I would be so stressed and feel so guilty for not knowing any Japanese. Yeah, now they're freaking... Now that region is just not a very... Oh, I forgot about that, too. <clears throat> yeah, there's uh, there's missiles Uh-oh. that are kind of kind of being lobbed around. Well, stay safe, Chinema, if you're listening yeah, to this. for reals. <laughs> Only Chinema stay safe. I was going to say, I mean, you know... Y'all know that if, you know, North Korea actually does lose their, lose their shit, like, we'll take care of that, but, uh... Yeah. <laughs> I'm t- serious, you know, I know this important, but, like, hey, they'll... It's looking for an excuse. Uh, I, I was thinking about this on the way over here, so we recorded... I recorded a couple episodes of this um, in, a, in a single week, and it happened to be the week where there was that really bad aggression again with North Korea that they... Like, right before we put the sanctions on where they, they were, like... Were they launched the first missile over Japan, or um, the first missile over Japan when people thought it was going to hit Guam? Yeah, when they people thought they were going to hit Guam, I recorded four in a row, and we were all like, "Well, if this comes out, hopefully we survive the apocalypse." And it's weird how we're still talking that it still came around a I, month and a half later. Yeah, I don't get it. Tell you what, like that's just one thing. Like if they, that would be the excuse. That's all America needs. Our military is so blue balled right now. It'll. Don't, don't do it, North Korea. Don't do it. They're nuts. Don't do it, because my friend Eli's in the army, and if he goes, he's gonna. He, I'll miss him. Shit. <laughs> and so now that it's uh, pitch black in here, now that it's really dark, it is. What do you want to? What do you want to talk about? Let's talk about. I'm looking at. I'm just looking at my notes now. Oh yeah. Um. All these apes came out of nowhere. Oh yeah, and that was weird because they were like. They were like the wild card in this movie, and that they were like intelligent, but mm-hmm. like they weren't. Yeah, Caesar was in there. Yeah, apparently in the movie, like the apes made a deal with like some other not very good force. It's never. I don't recall it being really elaborated on, but like I could not tell you. <laughs> yeah, the apes are not good news in this movie. It's weird. Yeah, well, it was just um, all these elements just kind of showed up, 
And in a way, it's cool because Miyazaki kind of does that I've, in the few movies that I've seen of his, that things just kind of happen, which feels weird plot-wise, but at the same time, it's more how the world works. It, it's, again, that kind of real-world thing where, like, stuff just happens. Mm-hmm. And it, like, good, good or bad, there might just not be a reason for it. Yeah. Also, this movie, I, I realized so early on that it was going to be a huge thing about kind of harmony with nature and environmentalism. Yeah. And then it just kept saying it over and over again. Like, the girl that li- Pr- Princess Mononoke, the girl oh. that lives in the woods, she's like, ugh, humans. And I was like, come on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's... That's a Miyazaki thing. He, he beats you over the head with that. I mean, and if it weren't for the fact that the rest of his plot and everything else is so good, I'd probably... Because I, I honestly hate it when movies do that. It starts to feel preachy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, like the Lorax. Yeah. The, oh, yeah, he's one of the... Miyazaki's one of the few who gets away with that in my in my book for now. Maybe yeah. maybe one day he'll release a movie and I'll just be like, dude, what are you doing? I well, really, my- I really hope not, though. Yeah, well, I I think a lot of other kids' movies, for the most part, uh, producers are catching up to this, I guess, we can just label it a Miyazaki thing, of just kind of having these grounded worlds and more complex plots and characters. I mean, I think I've said it previously on the podcast countless times, it's just kind of like the Pixar effect or something that people are realizing that kids' movies aren't necessary, for the most part, they're not just just a way to distract your kid for an hour and a half while you drink an entire handle of bourbon. It's... It's mm. uh, it's still a place where kids learn mm. more so now than ever, and but also just because there are adults there doesn't mean you have to make like a secret dirty joke for your parents, but kind of just making quality entertainment that you don't have to be uh, an adult to understand, but as an adult you can still appreciate it. I was gonna say if you make your world real, if you manage to tell a story that's real, there's no point where you're talking down to anybody. There's no point where you're simplifying. If you just make it legit that means that an audience member of of any age can appreciate it as Mm -hmm. long as there are elements in there for kids and there are every miyazaki movie has elements in there it's not it's not that it's so complex that a a child won't be able to pick up on all the important parts but it's one of those movies he's one of those directors where every time you watch one of his movies you pick up on more of the world that it's in because the stuff is there to be picked up on Maybe I do need to watch this movie again because I will say it, it took me a very long, an, uh, an embarrassingly long time to understand what was happening in the movie. Because I was just like, why? Wait, so he got evicted from his village and now he's kind of like walking around. He has a weird arm. Oh, he's going to go chill in this village. Oh, he's gone already. He has gold. Where'd this gold come from? And then just, uh, it was very confusing for me, at least for a little while. I was also grumpy when I was watching it, so I was like, I don't get this. <laughs> I'm about to have a temper tantrum. It's all good. You all have those days. Yeah. I mean, today's better, so that's good. That's good. Yeah. Also, oh my god, I can't believe I never mentioned this, because we were talking about it earlier about just things that were grossing me out. The the huge, like, worm thing at the beginning that was, like, eating up oh, the yeah. boar. Oh my god, that, ugh. Like, I... I get grossed out. I don't get grossed out by, because I know there's that phobia thing where it's like a lot of the little holes, you know? That's like a big thing with like the new season of American Horror Story. It's not that. that. Yeah. (laughs) I I can see it, but I don't like it. Yeah. Well, my thing is I, I, I can't, I get so grossed out by like really small things. Like when you, when you look in a microscope and understand the intricacies of microscopic life like that, it makes me just kind of like 
get gaggy because I'm like, oh, everything is gross, you know. Yeah, so like, everything's got. And then just like all the yeah, and life just like is... all these worms kind of forming a giant spider. I was like, whoo. Oh yeah. Nope, that was. And again, that's another thing. I, I love that reaction because for me, when I first saw the movie, I saw that, and, and you licked your lips. Is, no, I, I saw that, and I, was, and I was like, that thing is evil. And oh, like, it, it definitely but, got the point. Of like it was, a, it was a guttural evil. It wasn't like, like, oh yes, that's the villain. It was, it was like, no, whoever else the villain is in this movie doesn't matter. That thing's evil. Uh-huh. And for the rest of the movie, like there are times when things like that, from the same place as that, go after our our protagonist and antagonist and it's mm-hmm. like it's kind of cool having this complex thing where you've got your you know complex protagonist com- complex antagonist and then you have something that really is just like this is bad mm-hmm. it, it's it's kind of sold to you it, like a lot of things in Miyazaki movies it's never quite explained what the deal is with the evil stuff what it is sold to you is like this is this is a corruption of nature like the stuff that looks like this that's a good way to put it is is bad it's corrupted it's not good and then and then to clarify so when our protagonist he he defeats this monster for the most part he saves his village from total destruction but because one of the little evil things nipped him and gave him a little bit of like evil power his village and family had to be like oh you gotta go yep that was the deal with that yes it was that (laughs) so here's the monster itself you, you may remember that um they find something inside the monster. It's actually a little iron ball. Yes. The thing that corrupted the monster at the beginning, it, it wasn't a monster. It was actually one of the forest spirits. It was one of the like benevolent yeah, yeah, yeah. things. And it had been shot by a gun. That's why in the beginning of the story, they find this little iron ball, and they're all like, we don't know what this is. But something killed this god, and then it went all batshit. And it turns out, as, as the movie goes on, you find out that this god was shot by people. And then it had this iron inside of it, and the hatred from that event spread to it, and it became a being of, like, pure hate. Damn, and, like, I need to watch this movie again. Okay, because, like, you, you sitting here and just talking with me about it makes so much more sense than when I was watching it. I was like, I don't know what's real. Because Miyazaki, again, he doesn't... He doesn't often stop to explain things unless they're really important. Like, I do feel... It seems to me like you got the important part of the movie. Like, you got the... And this is why his kids' movies are even better at this. But, like, you'll you'll get that, you know, shit's going down in the forest. Uh Dude's got some funky stuff going on with his arm. And Lady Eboshi is probably not the worst, but she's not great. And, yeah. Yeah, I got got the Sparknotes version, but now I need to actually... Sit down. I I think so. This is the second Miyazaki movie that we watched for this podcast, and I think it's just I think Miyazaki movies are hard to watch alone because a lot of kids' movies, or movies in general, you can get away with. Like it's you can have like a personal experience with it too. But I think, at least for me, I'm not I, like you said at the beginning. I'm not a hu- I'm not a huge uh, anime person, and I think Miyazaki. It's I need I need somebody there with me to make sure that I'm paying attention. <laughs> That's true. Is you can you can easily miss, you can easily miss little details in Miyazaki movies that are very important later on, and unlike some other movies that do this, where the details are arbitrary, and then at the end of the movie they'll pull them back out and be like, "Oh, I bet you missed this," and oh, it's like I feels love that. feels cheap. In a Miyazaki movie, a little detail might just be like 
something small in the background that suggests that maybe it's all a dream or uh-huh. maybe in this case it's the thing like in the very beginning you see the corruption is coming from people going in and killing things it's this hatred it's this they're not going in and they're not negotiating they're going in and killing stuff and that hatred has repercussions not just on the people who do it but on others and that message comes from one scene in the very beginning of the movie where the one shaman guy is like we found these in the boar and then later on in the movie you get lady eboshi and she's like look at this gun like look at this shit isn't it cool and then you know i think at one point um ashitaka the the protagonist does mention that's what we found in the boar or something like that yeah like that's i've seen that but it's Again, it's something that's like a sentence and then like a look of disgust and then it's over. But, but yeah, there are so many. It's a Miyazaki movie thing. It's a movie that's hard to watch alone and it's hard to watch just once. I know I've seen most of his movies like three, four, five, six plus times. Did you like Ponyo? <sighs> yes. My it, friend did not like I thought Ponyo. it was. A, here's the deal I thought it was a good movie. It was one of his movies. That was very much a kid's movie. That was more of a kid's movie than My Neighbor Totoro. Like, that was coming up on that point where I was like, as an adult, it was kind of hard to watch. Mm-hmm. It's still, I still so enjoy also, it. Also, Ponyo does not look that much like a goldfish, and that was confusing. For yeah, me. like it was, and I think there might have been some cultural stuff there. I still thought, like, the, the fundamentals, like, as far as, like, is this objectively a decently made movie? Yeah, in fact, I would say it's a well-made movie. The animation was amazing in that movie. Yeah, but also amazing voice cast. Yeah, and the, yeah, the voice cast. Well, it's always an amazing voice cast with Miyazaki. But Ponyo, I was surprised at how many people like Tina Fey, Lily Tomlin, oh, yeah. two women that I absolutely adore and admire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't even really talk about the voice cast for this. Uh, I I also didn't really recognize most of them. So, but I mean, Claire Danes uh, uh, voices the San, the young woman uh, raised by wolves. Who lives in the woods? Tara Strong uh, does some supporting work. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton, <laughs> who I thought was a weird choice. I was like, he doesn't. I'm not sure if he's really vibing this. I that character was like, I don't. I still don't know what to think about that character because in the end, let me let me just make sure I've got the right. I'm trying to find a a picture of his freaking. Uh, He's he's the guy that he was the he was the, like the the short like traveling merchant that looks dude. a little like a toad. Yeah, that guy, that was neat. He was like the wild card in the beginning. He was kind of supportive of the protagonist. In the end, he was the one where Lady Eboshi was ready to to call it and be like, give it back. And he was yeah. like, nope, this is too valuable. See y'all. He, I think he again. This is great because it's another. This was a total side character in this movie. Like this person could have been removed. And largely the movie would have been the same. But this was just a dude who was like a very normal person. And was like greedy in a very normal way. Yeah, he's just like, we could, you could get five cups of rice or whatever. Yeah, and like, would, like, you know, like people would be fighting. And I don't know that he actually did this, but this is the kind of person he's portrayed as. And like, when it's over, he'd be the guy who'd walk around and like take stuff. Like, he wouldn't hurt people, but dude's just trying to get by here. Yeah. So it was a very... And that, and that was a very well-developed aspect of a totally secondary character in this movie. Totally. And th- except he featured one of my things, I think it's probably one of my least favorite parts of Miyazaki movies, is mm-hmm. the little clump mustaches. Oh, yeah. That's just the edges. And I don't know if that's... 
if it's if it's weird to say that is it's it? kind of like a, a a Manchu a Fu Manchu type I, style, I don't know. it just looks so weird every time, and I'm like, what? It must just be. This it's got to be. Uh, I don't know. Because we see about. characters with actual, not actual mustaches, but they have like little wisps so of a full mustache. You see people with whiskers. You see people with beards. And then you see people with these things. Like, like I shaved my uh, one time. I shaved my beard, and I did go into that style, and it was so unsettling to look at. So I don't know. It must be. I don't know. Maybe it's a cultural thing, or maybe maybe it's just Miyazaki being like, ah, yes, most of. A large chunk of my audience doesn't know enough <laughs> to be able to call this out as not right. So yeah, I'll just so make it and they'll buy it. Screw you kids. Signed Miyazaki. Can you imagine being a director producing content that goes to a lot of like foreigners and just being like, I'm going to stick something in and just pretend it's totally Japanese and these people are going to buy it because they don't know any better. And I'm... Yeah, that's probably fair. I'm I mean, freaking but Hayao Miyazaki. They do say Miyazaki is like the Disney of Japan. And, and by they, I mean I read that in a review once. I read that in a review, and honestly, the people who I've heard say some of the more like intelligent things about his movies, um, which isn't me, these are some people subscribed to on YouTube, they generally say that he's better than the Disney of Japan. Because well, I mean, he has a better track record overall. Pretty much. he's He hasn't released a bad movie. Miyazaki did not release a song of the South. <laughs> yeah. Well, who knows? He's still got, he's retired four times already. He's, who knows? he's back again. Yep. More, most recently. I don't know. Who knows what he's working on. Freaking. And not all of his movies are happy. I th- There's one movie. I've seen all of his movies, but one. Grave of the Fireflies. I have not seen that Miyazaki movie. I don't know if you've... I have not. I hear it is like... I forget what it's about. It's it sounds about, really desolate. I forget already. if it's about. I forget. I think it's about the Holocaust or something similar. Ooh, I know about that. Yeah, it's like dark. It's a really dark movie. I've heard, but taken with the usual care and depth of Miyazaki. Okay. Like I've heard, like, like grown men like don't make it through the movie just because not because it's like violent or bloody, but just because stuff happens and you're like, oh man, I need to cry. Like, huh. excuse me. Well, I probably can't handle it because I'm barely a grown man. So yeah, I'm a I'm a something. Um, I'm that's... still uneasy about walking home alone at like eleven forty five. So who knows? Yeah, I feel you there. But that's that's because I mean you're I don't know you're I don't I don't know if you're shorter than me. I know I'm I, I, I was... I'm barely five six. Oh, then a little bit, but I'm but I'm, I'm a stick figure. Like y'all can't you, you can't tell from my voice. I sound like this. I sound like this big piece of beef. I'm like I'm like 120. Like, yeah, soaking wet. So <laughs> how, people say that. How much? How much do you weigh then? Just dry. Um, actually, 120. I'd okay. probably be like 125, soaking wet. I nice. Assume. And not nice. I don't know why I said that. That's a weird reaction. Nice. <laughs> Uh, I'm no. not going to adjust that volume whatsoever so people are just going to get very scared of you saying whispering nice to them. Yeah, you know, so you got to you got to go in for that emphasis. Yeah, I mean, we got this you got this radio voice you didn't have to be uh, a homeless guy in Cleveland. I didn't. Specific um, ref. But if that's what it takes. If that's yeah. what it takes. I'll do it. If Fiverr doesn't work out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you switch to if, the streets. If this whole YouTube thing and like the the freelance stuff doesn't work out like I I don't become a cool HR person. That's uh you know. So like everybody keeps saying the word freelance, and it it doesn't make sense to me. Like that just seems like it's so it seems so terribly scary to work in just as a freelancer. It is. It's horrifying, actually. Um, it's very fulfilling, 
because you're doing work for yourself and at least right now and like you're dipping your toe in like a bunch of different places yeah, i guess and like it's it's nice because like I, I am my own boss that's great it's also terrifying because i'm my own boss like you don't really feel this as much when you're working like a nine to five because you go you know you clock out you call in sick and like there's somebody else to do it sure me if, if i don't do my work for a day it's more work i have to do tomorrow if i take two days off that is two days off and if i take enough days off my clients will start to care because i am my own reputation and that is uh that's tough actually that's very tough yeah and at this i'm also not i'm a good motivator i if other people are potentially involved like if it's just me like oh i need to go like i was gonna go to the gym today but then i was gonna come here to record with you and i was like oh it's gonna be cutting close and also my stomach hurts so i just like turned on one of those like crappy videos where it's a a cgi workout or whatever (laughs) But yeah, so like we've we've talked about this movie. Do you have any final thoughts on Princess Mononoke, Tony? Uh, it's a good movie. If you are someone who hasn't been exposed to Miyazaki yet, uh, everybody, everybody will tell you like you know watch Spirited Away, one of those. That's those are like his super super famous movies. If you want something a little bit darker, if you want something a little bit more mature, um, not easier to comprehend. Probably gonna have to watch this sucker twice before you're really, uh, really solid on it. But yep. if you want something um, a little bit more adult from Miyazaki, this is one of his very few, very adult films. Um, and like all Miyazaki movies, this is a movie, and this is like for me, this is my test of whether or not a movie's good. I lose myself in this movie um, when I. First, especially the first couple of times I watched it, once I really started to get a grip on what was going on, it's the kind of movie where when it's over, it feels like you're coming out of a dream. It feels like, it feels like, like oh wow, I'm I'm sitting on a couch. I kind of forgot about that for a little bit. Um, if you like that in a movie, this one's for you. Also, that soundtrack is freaking awesome, but that's besides the point. Yeah. Well, now we're gonna see exactly how much we like this movie. So um, we're now gonna rate the movie. So we here at Kidflix, we rate everything. Uh, every movie that we watch on four criteria, audience respect, plot, acting, and humor. You can rate it anywhere from zero to five generic points or whatever. Uh, you can use decimals however you like. Um, so yeah, so Tony, what did you think of the audience respect for this movie? So how does Miyazaki uh, treat his audiences? Audience respect, this one's got to be a five for me. Um, and I don't like giving out perfect scores i don't like doing it yeah yeah but participation trophies but here's the thing that's kind of that's kind of miyazaki's thing is that with the audience he's unflinching he just gives it to you the way it is and sometimes that leads to movies that are kind of awkward and sometimes it leads to moments that are kind of cringier that leads to a plot that might be confusing because you didn't catch what one character was going through an hour ago Mm -hmm. but for what it's worth, it makes for some movies that when, when they hit you, when the message gets home, it it hits hard. And I personally respect that very much. And I'm glad that he does things that way. Very good. Um, I think I, I'm giving this a four. It's, uh, it's the same rating that I gave Spirited Away. I think Miyazaki definitely uh, treats his audiences like audiences. Um, actually, you know what? I, th- I think I would rate this a little bit higher than Spirited Away because... One of my gripes with Spirited Away is that uh, there were some points where I was just like, it it felt a little too silly and condescending. And like, it starts becoming an acid trip. <laughs> yeah, almost. So I, 
so you know what? I'm gonna bump to a weird decimal. I'm giving audience respect a four point three five. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, it takes a lot to get it perfect from me. And I guess I guess I should add if we're talking about this movie specifically, maybe I shouldn't say it's perfect, but. Well, we have three other categories to go oh, through. Oh boy, three other categories! All whoa, right. whoa, whoa! Uh, so many. Uh, what did you think of plot? Plot. So this is something I'd probably give. I gotta think about this. I'd probably give the plot a solid four. Um, I, I don't want to give it any any decimals above that, just because it it can be hard to follow and. While I don't want to take anything more away from it because of that, because I, I think that you know when it comes to following a movie, some of that's on the director. A lot of that is also on the people. Mm-hmm. Some movies are just complicated. Some movies you got to watch a couple times because there's a lot of stuff in them. I don't think it makes them a worse movie. That being said, Miyazaki's movies often are very abstract at moments and often can get to be a little like, what the hell's going on right now? So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm happy giving that a four. Yeah, I'm I'm at a similar place with you. Um, I'm giving it a three point five, mainly because I <laughs> once I was talking to you about it, and once you kind of held my hand while explaining some of the stuff, it, the movie made a lot more sense, and I could kind of see the trajectory of everything. But just sitting down to watch it on my own, huddled over my laptop, trying to get the full screen function on this weird knockoff website <laughs> to work, I I just found myself so lost. Like I. The first 20 minutes or so in the last half hour, I just... There there were just a lot of parts where I was just very confused as to why we were there. And I it, it all came together in the end, but uh, maybe on a second viewing, I would be a little bit more generous. That but. is something, actually, I know we don't have time to get into it. Um, but talking about the, the calm moments in Miyazaki's film, that's actually something of his that is one of my favorite aspects. Oh, actually. I agree. I I wrote down in my notes that there are just these moments of just tranquil nature shots. Like it's it's so beautifully animated. Like uh, when our protagonist is in the woods and he he meets these travelers that he ends up saving their lives. Um, we just get this this beautiful shot of just butterflies on a on a log, and it's it doesn't really d- mean anything or do anything for the plot. Nice but it's because it, it gives the movie a minute to let the silence speak for itself. In Miyazaki's movies, these moments usually come after some big event or something, or like maybe after a fight, or maybe after a good thing. Oftentimes, the protagonist will be there, like you mentioned, while he was like walking in the woods. Yeah. And in these moments where a Western film might have like some narration on it, like, I just had a really bad day, or like, you know, maybe some swelling music or something like that. Miyazaki movies might have like some, some music underneath. In many cases, it's just think with the character the characters ruminating on something hey audience you ruminate too here's some it's like if you find if maybe the character is finding meaning in the scenery that he's looking at maybe he's not and that's completely fine it gives you a chance miyazaki builds these characters very very well it's it's one of his shticks it's one of his things and these silent moments give you time to reflect on the events of the movie with the characters and that's just that's a powerful thing yeah. for me, at least. Um, so now let's talk about acting. So this is, a, it's obviously a little bit different because mm-hmm. we're talking animated, but, um, and Tony, you, you kind of have more of experience with uh, voice acting mm-hmm. uh, and kind of vocal performance. So what did you think of, and we're going off of the English dub, uh, obviously. 
English dub. This is another four for me. Um, I really, I want to give this movie something lower for something, but it's, this is another spot where just the <laughs> acting really, it was good. Um, I tend to be a little bit more generous with dubs with this kind of stuff just because it is so hard to rewrite a movie into another language and get the words that people say uh-huh. to even vaguely match the way their mouths move. Um, and Miyazaki movies are dubbed by Disney. Disney gets on that. They have Disney writers translate it and write it and get these things to match phrases and sentences for animation that was done for Japanese. Yeah. And it's done so effectively that there are very few moments where someone will be saying something and be like, that's an odd way to say that. It still happens. Um, and yeah, cause, and I didn't realize that because when I, I did, when I was doing some research for the Spirited Away episode, I... I did learn that um, with Miyazaki movies, uh, when they're doing the dub, they really do try to match the mouse, which that's that's such a great detail that they have no that they don't need to do. They don't have to. People accept it when they don't. Because well, there's that whole trope with anime where it's like, oh, the character will say hi, but it, but its mouth will be talking for like ten seconds or yeah. something. Disney dumb does like not that. tolerate that shit, which is why there's a lot Disney doesn't tolerate. But we can get into that <laughs> another time. <laughs> Woo! Um, but no, yeah, like they, they really don't. And that level of polish is what allows, for example, an American audience, maybe someone who has never watched any anime, anything, to sit down and palette one of these movies. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, someone who isn't used to, to that, they're not going to think, oh, well, you know, this was originally in Japanese, so the mouth's still moving, but that's not low quality. They're going to think, what the hell is this? Who animated this? Yeah. So, again, it's just that level of polish. But at the same time, it still does hurt sometimes. There are awkward... In every Miyazaki movie that I've seen, there are a few moments where something might be said that just seems a little strange. Um, it's never so jarring that I'm like, that I'm like wow, it, I, I can't say I've ever had a moment quite like that. But it, it, you do still run into some of those pitfalls. Sure. So that's why, it's, that's why it's a four. Yeah, I, I gave... I gave it a three point three, and I know, and we didn't talk about it a lot, mm-hmm. so it's it's that is kind of jarring to give that score. But I, I just could not get over Billy Bob Thornton. <laughs> I, I, I take it that's kind of a love it or hate it character. Yeah, it, and and he ended up not playing as major of a role, but it's just, I don't know. I, um, it's just sometimes the. I, I don't even know how to like articulate what my exact issue was, but it's it's like the I I, I kind of wish that with a movie like this when they're translating it that even though they're kind of uh, trying to translate um, the the Japanese language for American audiences they would also kind of translate some of like the emotional stuff because it just, some of it just felt stunted at points and it, and I think it kind of uh, goes back to just kind of them occasionally having to have awkward lines to fit the the movement better I bet that you they have to had say a really to, fast sentence just I, like this yeah <laughs> I bet that it was they they it, this movie was all like ADR essentially just them watching the movie and trying to match it as best as they could mm-hmm. and that's got to be draining but at the same time uh, it definitely was hard <laughs> at mm-hmm. times uh, and then finally uh, there isn't a whole lot of it but I still use this category as kind of a litmus test for a lot of kids movies but what did you there were humorous parts like Miyazaki does have humor in his uh, movies so were there any parts that kind of stood out what did you you think of that Uh, I mean 
this is where I'd give it like a 2.5. <laughs> Just because, and that's not like a, a detrimental 2.5. This this movie wasn't a funny movie. Um, Miyazaki in general doesn't do very much humor. And when he does, it's generally very, very light stuff. And I don't know. I guess there are a couple reasons for that. One, his movies are serious. Oh, yeah. And that's just kind of the way they are. Two, and maybe it goes out in translation, it's very difficult to do humor across cultures. Like, there's stuff that will land for everybody. But in many cases, the stuff that really lands well, you got to know who you're writing for and where it's going. In a movie as serious as, as any Miyazaki movie... I know, and I think he knows, any humor that's more topical would feel out of place. Oh, oh and of so course. you just—it's just completely absent in his movies. So for that, yeah, I can't give it a high score here because mm-hmm. the content's just not there. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm drawing, and I, I, I watched it more recently than you did, I assume. But I, uh, there were definitely some moments that I, I chuckled, I smiled at all the. A lot of the bits with the brothel and the women fawning over the protagonist, I did enjoy that, and it was true. goofy. Because I think um, humor, de- Miyazaki, when he uses humor um, in the bits of his films that I've seen, um, it's it's like the very just kind of like easy humor to a certain extent. Just like oh, men are brutish, and women uh, are kind of like Bleh, a lot. But um, the, like it's it's a nice. It's an easy way to just kind of break up some of these really intense, long fight scenes, these kind of intense journeys and soul-searching things. Um, but also, he, all these characters do have little quirks and these, like, wacky monsters and guys. They they do just have, like, this very, like, this simpleton nature to them a lot of times. Uh, I, I think it's more inspirited away, but just these, like, goofy characters that are just... optimistic because yeah because the humor in there it's it doesn't it's not very much like oh you're an idiot character i mean once in a while sure but a lot of it and the humor that i really enjoy is when it's a positive or optimistic character just being genuine about something but as an audience member you look at them and see like oh their their optimism is just kind of like blinding them from everything else around them Mm -hmm. uh you don't i don't think you don't get you don't get much of that in uh, in Miyazaki, I don't think N- not a lot. And by the bits that I mm-hmm. like, that th- that's the thing. I'm trying to rate more of the quality of the humor rather than the presence of humor. Just because, mm-hmm. uh, but I I did enjoy the little bits that were kind of sprinkled in. So for that, I'm giving it a three point five. And so crunching the numbers of Princess Mononoke, a very good score. We're giving it uh, with our combined scores averaged together. Uh. 3.77 so that's a C plus B minus I don't really I I would have to double the scale I almost don't really want to say it's a, a B plus or a, or a C minus just because that, that still does the, the weird weighted thing we do where only like the top quarter of scores are actually good yeah I I guess you're right in that and just to give in comparison to our previous reviews uh, Princess Mononoke is uh, about Point one uh, above Cool Runnings, and just point zero one 
below Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And that's a freaking cult classic here. Yeah. The, I shouldn't even say it's not a cult classic. It's a classic classic. Yeah. Here in the... It's weird. It's weird how close Willy Wonka <laughs> and Cool Runnings are. I just realized that now, how spooky that is. But Strange. Hey, math is math. Numbers don't lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Tony, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, absolutely. It's I, I love doing stuff like this. And Ross, you're a cool dude. I can talk, talk to you forever, man. So yeah. thanks, thanks for having, thanks thanks for having for, me, dude. Uh, is there anything that you would like to uh, plug that you would like people to know about? Uh, you know, I'm going to be releasing more information about this soon. Maybe I'll throw it your way. We were talking over the break about maybe uh, doing some brainstorming ourselves for this. But I am launching a YouTube channel. It's called Long Story Short. I actually just recently found out of course, it didn't come up because it uploaded like three videos and then never did anything again. There was once another long story short. So I'm hoping that doesn't become a problem later. But I'm launching a YouTube channel, long story short, we're talking about... Enough time uh, has passed. I think you're good. Yeah, just about anything. And um, when I say just about anything, like everything from light politics will make it to cool science to how does a computer work to why should we cooperate? What's the history of, the li- of uh, life? And we're going to make it happen in like 15 minutes or less. Yeah. So You hear that, Vsauce? Tony's coming for you. Coming for you. Yeah, um, and I'm trying to remember. So uh, Tony and I both uh, are hosts on uh, Temple's uh, radio station, WHIP, which you can listen to anytime on the Radio FX app or iHeartRadio. What, what, when's your show? So Eastern I'm, Standard on, Time. I'm on most Tuesdays, 7 to 8. And I'm on Fridays, 4 to 5. I used to be on much more than that, but these days, these days You're I do. You're doing your own jam. I do my own jam these days. <laughs> I'm trying to freaking do a video once a week. That is, uh, that's, uh. That'll be fun, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you can catch my show every Sunday from 7 to 8 Eastern. Uh, it's called Here's My Thing. And it's, we just kind of riff based off of news stories. So that that's a fun time. It's my thing. I like that title. Yeah, I didn't come up with it, and we have to make a new theme song because it, it's the old hosts introducing themselves. So that's going to be awkward until we get around to fixing <laughs> that. Uh, but yeah, so that's uh, that's about all for us here at KidFlix. Uh, you can follow us Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at KidFlixPod. Did I say Facebook? I think I did. Uh, email us at KidFlixPod at gmail.com. Um, oh, I don't have it on me but i want to thank uh we had a listener named i don't oh i feel so bad that i don't have his name uh but he sent he sent me a list of 23 movies uh to review on this podcast and i'm very grateful um i will give you a proper shout out when we review one of these movies but thank you sir keep them coming kidflixpod at gmail.com Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe for more. If you came here because of VHS Dude, thanks a lot. We appreciate it. And that's the end of our show. Go, go, gadget, and show.